Hello, I'm Eric Huang. You're listening to Saint Podcast, a podcast about the always fascinating and often controversial lives of the saints. This is a history and culture podcast that traces the origins of morality tales of the saints or hagiographies, and how they continue to impact life today. This is a special episode inspired by an exhibition at the Manchester Art Gallery in England entitled "Derek Jarman: Protest," a major retrospective of the work created by one of the most influential figures in 20th-century British culture. The exhibition, which ran from the 2nd of December 2021 to the 10th of April in 2022, showcased Derek Jarman's paintings, set designs, and photographs alongside screenings of his films. The art gallery hosted a live event on April 8th called Stormy Weather. I had the privilege of presenting a talk about Saint Sebastian and Derek Jarman's significant role in shaping the modern story and identity of this popular saint. The special Saint Podcast episode you're about to hear is based on the Stormy Weather talk, Jarman and Sebastiane: The Making of a Gay Icon. I've been fascinated by the lives of the saints ever since I was a boy. When I was seven, my mom gave me four pocket-sized books on saints called "The Miniature Stories of the Saints." They're little and square. Two books on female saints, two on male saints, and written by Reverend Daniel A. Lord. One saint in particular grabbed my attention: Saint Sebastian. Here was a young man, a Roman soldier. Not a hermit living in a cave, not a monk or cleric that I couldn't relate to. In the book, Saint Sebastian was tied to a post, shirtless, and fit. The seven-year-old me was captivated for reasons that wouldn't become totally clear to him for about a decade. So, who is Saint Sebastian? We explored his legend in Saint Podcast Episode Two, Saint Sebastian, the Gay Icon. We won't go too deeply into his story in this special episode, so have a listen to episode two if you haven't done so already. But just to jog everyone's memories, here's a refresher. Sebastian is a third-century Roman citizen from Gaul who grows up near modern-day Marseille in France. He joins the Roman army as a youth. Due to his bravery and ferocity in battle, he's eventually made captain of the Praetorian Guard. The head of the emperor's elite private fighting force. Sebastian has a secret, though. He's a Christian, a practitioner of an illegal religion. Sebastian keeps his identity hidden to help other Christians being persecuted by Emperor Diocletian, his boss. Sebastian is eventually outed. Emperor Diocletian is outraged at this betrayal by his commander. He orders Sebastian arrested, then has him tied to a post. Shot by archers full of arrows and left to die. This scene, a shirtless Sebastian tied up and shot with arrows, is so popular that many people don't realize he survives the attack, only to be bludgeoned to death by Diocletian's men three years later. Saint Sebastian is the patron saint of disease and pandemics, and also of soldiers, law enforcement, archers, emergency services. The military and athletes. Saint Sebastian embodies the village people, a collection of hypermasculine archetypes which are both fetishized and parodied by queer culture. 
Today, St. Sebastian is almost always depicted in this fetishized manner, as a shirtless youth, arms tied behind him to a tree or a post, wearing only a loincloth, if anything at all, his muscular body penetrated by an arrow or two. It's very sensual, but he wasn't always depicted like this. The earliest surviving artworks of St. Sebastian, 6th century Byzantine mosaics from Ravenna, show an older, bearded, white-haired man, fully dressed in clothing appropriate for Sebastian's middle class, profession as a warrior, and his age. So how did a sensibly dressed, middle-aged warrior, the captain of the Roman emperor's private army, transform into a barely legal pinup? The answer to this question lies in the ancient Mediterranean world. When diseases ravaged classical Greece, some people made sacrifices to the winged deity Eros. He was the god of love. The Romans called him Cupid. Love was thought of as an illness, a madness Eros inflicted upon his victims with a bow and arrow, the arrows representing the sting and prick of love. STDs were similarly meted out to people who displeased the god. Entreaties were also made to Apollo, an even more powerful god who was the personification of the sun. Apollo reigned over the arts, prophecy, as well as disease. Like Eros, Apollo was an archer, though a far more deadly one, whose arrows inflicted life-threatening illnesses and devastating pandemics like the bubonic plague. Apollo's function in ancient Greece was to ward off evil, which developed into warding off disease by Roman times. So it was to this sun god that many people across the Roman Empire and beyond turned to for protection against diseases of all kinds. Because the arrow was an age-old symbol of disease across the ancient world, Saint Sebastian, who survived being shot with arrows, was associated with protection against and recovery from disease, in particular against the multiple waves of the bubonic plague, the Black Death. It's during this dark time of death and disease that Sebastian's status as a plague saint developed and grew into a popular cult and a popular subject for artists. Medieval depictions of St. Sebastian in this next phase of his evolution from silver-haired Roman warrior to protector against the Black Death are very bloody. Artwork focused on the pain and suffering from his legend, the symbolic disease he recovered from. Paintings and sculptures no longer depicted a dignified Roman official. Instead, Sebastian's body is riddled with what his hagiography calls pricks, the countless arrows in his body. He often looks like a pincushion, a very, very bloody one, in obvious pain and agony. This Sebastian was younger than the warrior in the mosaics from Ravenna. His hair was no longer white, and he was just as often bearded as clean-shaven. This is also when Sebastian first becomes topless, though he isn't fit. More often than not, his naked torso re-emphasizes his agony and pain, and is drenched in blood. As the medieval age gave way to the Renaissance, a renewed interest in classical Greek and Roman culture was all the rage. The trend in art was towards an ideal naturalism, beautiful, muscular bodies. And so the older, gruesome Sebastian was cleaned up. The scores of arrows in his body were reduced to five, three, or less. There was no more blood, no more expressions of excruciating pain and agony. The Renaissance-era Sebastian gazed upwards in an ecstatic expression and looked more and more like Apollo, 
the classical Greek and Roman deity who preceded St. Sebastian as a protector against disease and the plague. Apollo gave this new Sebastian youth, shaving off even more decades from his original middle age, and also a hairless, muscular body. People seemed to readily accept the saint's makeover because a youthful protector against pandemics was more believable and probably more desirable than one who was old. Sebastian's transformation into a new Apollo was due in large part to the choices artists like Michelangelo made when painting him. Someone who had to hide their true persuasions, pretend to be and act like someone they weren't. Plus, St. Sebastian's attributes allowed artists to paint a religious figure in a sensual manner. And they made him hot. Today, these artists would likely identify as queer. But this term didn't exist then. What we call homosexuality and bisexuality weren't identities. They were acts. In some ways, the perception of sexuality was more fluid then, especially in Italy, where relatively permissive classical attitudes towards same-sex relations between men never really went away, although they followed strict rules and didn't apply equally to everyone. You could have sex as a top with subordinates, but never fall in love with, bottom for, or prefer men. Now, in the midst of this rebirth of ancient philosophy and customs that was the Renaissance, it was generally acceptable for wealthy male citizens to sleep with whomever they wanted, as long as they didn't embarrass their families by wanting to marry or run away and live with their conquests, male or female. Women, of course, were never permitted any of these liberties. Patrons and donors who had an eye for male beauty commissioned St. Sebastian artworks by the hundreds. They gravitated towards this saint because his iconography so easily lent itself to sensual depictions. The arrows transformed from symbols of disease to quite overt emblems of penetration, appropriately called pricks by the saint's hagiographer. The secret desires of the wealthy men who commissioned so many St. Sebastian works of art could be masked by devotion to what was simultaneously a sacred image and pornography. Like so many works of art at the time, St. Sebastian pieces dangerously crossed a very thin line between sacred and carnal devotion. One painting of St. Sebastian by Friar Bartolomeo was removed by officials at the Church of San Marco in Florence in the 15th century when they learned from the confessional that the image inspired impure thoughts during Mass. Still other St. Sebastian paintings were shockingly commissioned for the sole purpose of inflaming carnal desires as were depictions of other religious figures. Raphael, who was notorious for his sexual appetite, scandalously painted one of his lovers as the Virgin Mary. A wealthy patron of Leonardo da Vinci commissioned a painting of the handsome sex worker Salai as St. John the Baptist. So beset was the patron by the passions aroused gazing at the painting that he threw it away in a river to save his soul. Erotic works like these were often painted without religious symbols. In the case of Sebastian paintings, the halo was omitted, as were angels and palm fronds symbolizing martyrdom. Sometimes there weren't even any arrows. These works of art were images of hot, tied-up young men that hung in invitation-only salons for the private devotion of the powerful bankers, kings, and clerics who could afford them. 
It was so outrageous that many church officials decried them for being blasphemous, pornographic. Head to St. Podcast's website to see images of some of these blasphemous paintings. www.saintpodcast.com Saint is spelled out. S-A-I-N-T Thank you so very much for listening to St. Podcast. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as the cost of a cup of coffee every month, your patronage will help keep St. Podcast going, as well as unlock access to bonus episodes, a behind-the-scenes peek at what we do, and free St. Podcast merchandise as part of your support. Head to www.patreon.com forward slash St. Podcast. As always, Saint is spelled out. S-A-I-N-T. Thanks again for listening. The Manchester Art Gallery also has a number of St. Sebastian works in their collection. The museum website is www.manchesterartgallery.org. Click on Collections at the top of the page, which will let you search for St. Sebastian or anything else you'd like to see in their collection. During the Reformation and Counter-Reformation in the 16th century, overtly erotic Sebastian works were discouraged, sometimes outlawed. But they continued to be created nevertheless. And Sebastian remained a bondage model through the 17th and 18th centuries, a shirtless, ever-younger, tied-up youth. In the 19th century, the word homosexual was coined. It started to become an identity. Artists of all kinds, from painters to playwrights, novelists to sculptors, all found inspiration from Sebastian's legend. Well, not all artists. More conservative voices like Charles Dickens found St. Sebastian emasculating and vulgar. He wrote about it in the 1864 memoir, Picture from Italy, in which he likened an appreciation for sensual Renaissance-era paintings to being, quote, partial to libelous angels, who play fiddles and bassoons for the edification of sprawling monks, apparently in liquor. In particular, Dickens hated the image of Guido Reni's Sebastian from 1625. The saint in Reni's painting is a feminized, androgynous figure, a bound man. And though it was a celebrated masterpiece of its time, 19th century standards of masculinity deemed it an affront to decency. Writer Oscar Wilde had a different opinion. He referred to René Sebastian as, quote, a priest of beauty. Many 19th and early 20th century artists who might today identify as queer, like Oscar Wilde, saw in Sebastian a closeted man. His hagiography was a mirror of their lives in which they too adopted secret identities whose exposure would mean certain persecution, imprisonment in Wilde's case. By the 1950s and 60s, St. Sebastian had become a tortured, tragic figure, someone bound not only by ropes, but by mainstream, mid-century morality that enforced a heteronormative standard on everyone. Japanese novelist Yukio Mishima and American playwright Tennessee Williams both use St. Sebastian in their works to represent repressed desires and the horrors that revealing one's truth can lead to there are no happy endings. This brings us to the 1970s and to Sebastiane, the film by Derek Jarman, released in 1976. 
Sebastiane was my first non-church encounter with this saint. It was the late 1980s. My best friend Howard took his mom's VHS copy of the film. He brought it over one night and we watched it after my parents went to bed with the volume turned all the way down, which was fine because all the dialogue is in Latin anyway. We didn't need sound to read the subtitles. If you haven't seen Sebastiane, you might want to forward ahead about 10 minutes because I'm about to talk about the film in detail. That said, we all know how St. Sebastian's legend ends, so there aren't really any surprises except for the way Derek Jarman reimagines the hagiography. So here's what happens in the film. Jarman's retelling of St. Sebastian's hagiography opens with a title sequence, which explains how Christians are blamed for fires igniting all over Rome. The first scene is set in Emperor Diocletian's decadent court, immediately after the last of the blazes have been extinguished. The art direction is typical of Jarman, anachronistic, a queer punk rock proto-neoromantic reimagining of late 3rd century Rome. Included in the scene is punk legend Jordan, who sadly passed away this April. Jordan would appear in Jarman's 1978 film Jubilee, alongside Adam Ant, with cameos from members of the Slits and Susie and the Banshees. In Sebastiane, Jordan makes a brief appearance as Mamea Morgana, a notorious courtier who, quote, slept her way from Bath to Rome. The orgiastic opening scene is a party in honor of Diocletian's favorite, Sebastiane, the head of his palace guard. Diocletian presides over a bacchanalia full of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and death. One of Diocletian's catamites, his boy toys, is accused, then executed, for being a Christian. Another catamite and Sebastiane protest the killing. The second catamite is immediately and gruesomely executed for daring to step out of line. Sebastiane is allowed to live, but diminished, demoted and exiled to a remote posting. The vast majority of the film is set here, in the dusty coastal nowhere of Sebastiani's banishment. Our hero and a handful of other exiled men spend endless days training pointlessly for battles they'll never fight in. Early on, we find out Sebastian is Christian, and he refuses to fight. The insubordination greatly angers Severus, the commander. Severus is in love with Sebastiane, who doesn't return the commander's affections. The rest of the film is filled with various scenarios to establish the uneasy, often abusive, and very homoerotic camaraderie between the banished men, forced together due to a common fate, and not much else. There are several homoerotic scenes of Severus punishing Sebastiane, ostensibly for insubordination, but the viewer knows the real reason is because Severus is a lover spurned. Another factor affects Severus's actions. He isn't out to his regiment. Several of the men under his command are overtly homophobic. They're bullies. The ringleader is Maximus, a palace guard who knew Sebastiane at court and still harbors a jealousy towards his former commander for being Emperor Diocletian's favorite and now for occupying most of Severus's attentions as well. Like the other men, the jealous Maximus exhibits strong homosexual tendencies, roughhousing naked in that frat boy locker room kind of way, while calling the others derogatory names for doing the same thing. 
The difference, however, between Maximus's gang and the rest is that Maximus and his lot know that men are only, quote, good for a quickie, which is essentially the same sentiment behind Renaissance views of same-sex male relationships. A kind and gentle soldier named Justin is also in love with Sebastiane. The two have some very tender scenes together. My favorite takes place in a quiet bay. Sebastiane and Justin have spent the afternoon swimming. Now perched on a rock like the Little Mermaid, Justin finds a seashell and hands it to Sebastiane. They pass the shell between them, taking turns to place it on their ears and listen. Sebastiane hears the old gods sighing. Justin hears nothing at first, but then discerns a seagull crying out in a great storm, Beloved Sebastiane. At the end of the scene, Sebastiane lifts the shell towards the bright, overexposed sky, like an offering to the blazing sun. The scene is very pagan, as is much of the film. Sebastiane is Christian, but worships a god who is an amalgamation of Christ and Apollo, the pagan god of the sun and pandemics we discussed earlier. This is an elegant link between two divinities of healing, the more ancient Apollo, who lent the younger Sebastian his youth and physique. It's almost as if Sebastiane in the film worships himself by worshipping Apollo, something reinforced by another pagan-esque scene. About midway through the film, Sebastiane looks lovingly into a pool of water. It's unclear at first when he remarks on the reflected beauty he sees if he's speaking about the sun, his Christian pagan god, or his own face. It's all very evocative of Narcissus, an ancient Greek legend in which a young hunter falls in love with a handsome face he spies in a pool of water. Narcissus doesn't realize the beautiful youth is his own reflection and remains by the pool till he dies. The gods take pity on him and turn him into the flower that bears his name, the daffodil in the genus Narcissus. The scene in the film is framed to evoke Caravaggio's late 16th century painting of the same legend. Caravaggio would be the subject and title of a Derek Jarman movie released in 1986, which would also be Tilda Swinton's film debut. Sebastiane's Apollo Christ God is also interesting because the iconography of Christ himself was also influenced by Apollo. The earliest depictions of Christ show him as an eternal youth beardless. He was linked to the sun as a bringer of light, and he was a healer, just like Apollo. Christ wouldn't be painted with a beard until the 4th century, 300 years after his crucifixion. Michelangelo caused a scandal when he returned to this early Christian iconography to depict a beardless muscular youth as Jesus in the last judgment fresco at the Sistine Chapel. It's thought Michelangelo based his figure of Christ on classical sculptural depictions of Apollo, like the massive Apollo Belvedere at the Vatican. Head to St. Podcast's website to have a look at this sculptural masterpiece from ancient Rome and Michelangelo's controversial Christ figure. That Jarman Sebastiane is so pagan-like and worships an Apollo-Christ hybrid deity provides a poetic link between a pagan god and two Christian divinities. In one scene from Jarman's film, Severus ties Sebastiane's spread eagle to the ground. Sebastiane looks like the crucified Christ, with Justin at his side, a mirror of John the Evangelist, 
who was Christ's favorite apostle and often appears next to Christ in a similar pose of anguish in crucifixion and deposition paintings. Another pagan reference is a mysterious figure dressed in animal skins who appears three times. Only Sebastiane sees them. The final appearance is in the moments before Sebastiane's execution. Our hero sits amongst a herd of goats, wearing a laurel wreath on his head, looking like Pan or any number of shepherd boys from pre-Christian legends. The pagan figure appears in the distance, distorted by the waves of heat rising from the sun-scorched ground. The wreath on Sebastiane's head evokes the crown of thorns placed on Christ's head to mock him before his execution. We discussed the similarities between St. Sebastian and Christ in the St. Podcast Martyrs episode dedicated to this saint. Jarman's film continues this age-old tradition in art that blurs the iconography of two Christian figures of resurrection. In the final scene of the film, Severus condemns Sebastiane to death. Each of his comrades shoots an arrow at him, even Justin, who is now near death. Maximus takes Justin's hands in his and manipulates them like a puppet master to shoot the final arrow, the death blow. Derek Jarman's influence on the iconography of St. Sebastian and even the legend itself is significant, as is his influence on contemporary film and art. I caught up with Fiona Corridan, curator of art and design at the Manchester Art Gallery and co-curator of the Derek Jarman protest exhibition. I asked her to tell me how she first encountered Derek Jarman's work. We had a landmark show here in 1992 called Queer. And my predecessor, Jeff Horsley, curated that show and worked really closely with Jarman to commission him to make a new body of work, but also show some of the pieces that he'd made more recently at Prospect Cottage, some of the assemblages and black and tar paintings. And as part of the exhibition, he created a series of slogan paintings, one of which was the painting Queer, which we then acquired for the collection. And say it was a landmark show because... Looking back at the file for, for that period, when they were trying to title the show, it was called something completely different. And then they settled upon the title Queer, but there was a lot of discussion with the city council about whether we could have a huge banner outside the building that said Queer. And so actually, that was kind of my introduction to Jarman, because I was just before I went to university to study history of art, and I'd seen some of his films on Channel 4, seeing this queer banner outside the City Art Gallery, as it was then, did feel quite shocking. It felt very much like Jarman was reclaiming that word. So the protest exhibition grew around one important piece in the Manchester Art Gallery's collection, Jarman's painting, Queer. Head to the Manchester Art Gallery's website to have a look. Here's Fiona to tell us more. Queer, the painting in our collection, is still one of the most popular artworks in the collection and we wanted to find a new context to show that work and also I'd been working with John Savage the writer and curator on a show in 2017 and it kind of came out of a conversation with John about the fact that he knew Jarman and he had a look at our queer painting and we started to talk about 
how we felt we should do a retrospective and how we should look at as much of Jarman's output as we possibly could and try to present to a new generation the kind of sheer breadth of Jarman's practice. The exhibition came together through the hard work of many people across several cultural and arts organizations. It debuted in Dublin at the Irish Museum of Modern Art from November 2019 to February 2020. When it came time to pack up the exhibition and ship it to Manchester, it almost didn't happen. We were due to open the exhibition here in 2020, but then obviously COVID got in the way. But it did give it a completely new context as well in terms of HIV and where we are with infection now and people's experience of infection and how infection isn't something that is a moral issue. And I think people are starting to realise with COVID that it doesn't discriminate. Infections just don't discriminate. At the centre of St. Sebastian's legend is pandemics. The plagues of medieval Europe created Sebastian's cult. Jarman's film, Sebastiane, reintroduced the saint to a generation plagued by the HIV-AIDS pandemic. And the current pandemic, which is still affecting many of our lives, casts, as Fiona says, a completely different perspective on the exhibition, which focused on the work of an artist whose life was claimed by a pandemic. Derek Jarman's influence on queer culture cannot be overstated. Fiona points out that it's not just queer artists who have been affected by his work. It's very difficult because I'm not talking from a queer perspective. For me, from the outside looking in, it seems like he kind of opened the way for artists to be overtly political, but with that kind of tongue-in-cheek or or sense of humour. You can say what you want as long as there's some humour behind it or some camp behind it. I suppose not being categorised as a particular kind of artist, working across film, painting, literature, set design, but also activism. There are so many artists now that work across art and activism and they kind of see it as one and the same thing. Jarman's retelling of the St. Sebastian legend is exactly this, overtly political and camp. In the 1970s, the film was activism, a queering of a sacred story that was outrageously blasphemous and yet part of a long tradition begun by old masters like Michelangelo and Guido Reni who shocked church officials with sexual portrayals of a saint whose story and image they changed. I also had the chance to chat with Jez Dolan, the artist-in-residence at Derek Jarman Protest. He created art and hosted various events at the Manchester Art Gallery in response to and in dialogue with the exhibition. Here's Jez to tell us what he hoped to explore during his residency. One of the things I was really interested in is how does... Jarman's practice, or does it, impact on younger queer artists, particularly? Because, you know, he's been dead for 28 years, so there's lots of younger folks out there who might not know anything about him, and that that was the case. So I was really interested in exploring that. And again, with Stormy Weather, the day event that we did, kind of exploring it from different levels and bringing other voices into the conversation. Jez also told me how he connects to a mysticism that seems to be present in much of Jarman's work. I think what I'm really interested in is this esotericism that underlies all of Jarman's work. There is this sense of the esoteric, the other, the mystical, the unknown, the outside. In impoverished Catholic communities, especially in India, Africa and Latin America, 
The modern Saint Sebastian isn't just a protector against disease. He's the protector for the other and outsider that Jez mentions, the dispossessed. The esotericism that Jez connects with is a pagan thread which we've seen strongly in Sebastiane that informs much of Jarman's work as well as Jez's current projects. In 1991, Derek Jarman was canonized as Saint Derek of the Order of Celluloid Knights of Dungeness by the Dungeness chapter in England of an order of nuns called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The order has its roots in Iowa City, where a theater troupe called the Sugar Plum Fairies borrowed habits from local Catholic nuns to stage a reimagining of The Sound of Music. In 1977, four of the theater troupe members moved from Iowa City to San Francisco. On Easter weekend, 1979, three of them traipsed through the streets of San Francisco dressed in the same habits to protest the conformist atmosphere of the local Castro gay scene and, quote, challenge the world. On that day, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were born. Since then, the order has spread across the globe. Membership includes people of every gender and sexual orientation. The main aim is charity and activism raising awareness of LGBTQI issues and supporting community service organizations. The Manchester Art Gallery's Jarman retrospective culminated with a canonization by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Given Derek Jarman's canonization in 1991, another canonization seemed a fitting finale. Here's Jez again, who's one of the sisters in the Manchester chapter. I am one of the sisters in the Manchester house, so I, I suggested to the rest of the sisters that we should have a canonization. And the only real person to go for was David Hoyle, an international art legend and icon. Uh, so we approached David and David said he would be delighted and thrilled. Obviously, who doesn't want to be made a living saint? We started off in Manchester's Gay Village, uh, an incredible bar called New York, New York, which David has a 30-year relationship with. And we had a procession with a traditional jazz band um, through the streets of the city to Manchester Art Gallery. The canonization ceremony was performed at the Manchester Art Gallery, upstairs inside the Derek Jarman exhibition. At its conclusion, performance artist, singer, comedian, actor and director David Hoyle became Saint David of the avant-garde. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence have, of course, courted controversy with the Catholic Church. The Archdiocese of San Francisco has objected to the founding chapter's appropriation of religious attire, rituals, and sacraments, with a not-so-thinly-veiled criticism of the Order's lifestyle. In the 2008 book Catholic and Queer, the sisters defend their organization and point to their many acts of charity which, quote, honor and emulate the unstinting devotion of Catholic nuns. In 1976, the year of Sebastiane's release, there was another St. Sebastian depiction in a film, one that was far more mainstream, Brian De Palma's adaptation of the Stephen King novel, Carrie. The religious figure that Carrie and her fanatical mother pray to is Sebastian, not Jesus, although they look nearly identical, as has often been the case since the 17th century. Carrie's mother dies in a pose just like the gruesome medieval St. Sebastian figurine, bloody and shot full of projectiles, a sort of crucifixion. But it's Jarman's art house film that cemented St. Sebastian's modern iconography, that of a barely legal pinup, 
a beautiful and tragically wronged gay saint. This is the Saint Sebastian worshipped around the world today, not the horror medieval-inspired plague saint from the much more popular Carrie. What Jarman did with his film Sebastiane was transform a figure of tragedy from the 1950s and 60s into a figure of protest, someone unjustly persecuted simply for being himself. And in so doing, Jarman made Saint Sebastian overtly gay, a figure that was out and proud, here and queer, persecuted yet camp, embraced by gay men and outsiders of all kinds since the 70s onwards. And from the moment Jarman's film was released, popular depictions of Saint Sebastian changed accordingly. Earlier stage productions of the Saint's story were redesigned to resemble Jarman's film. The intricate modernist costumes created for Gabriele D'Annunzio's play, The Martyrdom of Saint Sebastian, first staged in 1911, were discarded after Sebastiane's cinema release. Sebastian and his brothers-at-arms in the play were now stripped of all clothing except loincloths, nearly as nude as all the men in Jarman's film. A very campy TV movie adaptation of D'Annunzio's play was broadcast in 1984. It owes an even bigger debt to Derek Jarman and plays like an 80s direct-to-video musical adaptation of his film. Although Derek Jarman's version of Sebastian's story was a radical departure from the 5th century hagiography, the story had already been altered significantly in the centuries between the 400s and the 1970s. The film is simply the next in a long and never-ending line of reinterpretations of a saint's legend and image. Saint Cecilia, a 3rd century Roman martyr, is the patron saint of music, but only since the 16th century, 1300 years after her death. Saint Christopher originally had a dog's head. He's now a bearded jock, the patron saint of surfers ever since the 1950s. Saint Isidore of Seville is the patron saint of the internet and IT, despite living and dying in the 6th century. The earliest surviving artworks depict St. Sebastian as a middle-aged Roman man, a battle-weary warrior. Medieval artists emphasized the pain from his role as a plague saint, showing a twisted, bloody body riddled with arrows that symbolized infection. Renaissance artists shaved off Sebastian's beard, making him younger still. Gone were the religious attributes, gone was the blood and gore. The emphasis was now on the idealized body of a new Apollo who was a secret symbol of forbidden homoerotic desire. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, St. Sebastian represented the closeted lives of queer artists who couldn't openly live as they wished. Artists in the mid-20th century saw in Sebastian a closeted figure whose fate, it seemed, was forever doomed from the start. Jarman's film Sebastiane reclaimed the tragic saint, rehabilitating a victim into a protector and warrior once more, a gay saint that afflicted Christians turned to as the new millennium approached during the HIV-AIDS pandemic, a symbol of protest and justice, embraced by artists from R.E.M. to Pierre Gilles to Louise Bourgeois, Madonna, Damien Hirst, and many, many more. Saint Sebastian wouldn't have such a global pop culture impact today if not for Derek Jarman. His film Sebastiane is like Guido Reni's painting, controversial, reviled, radical, inspirational, iconic. The current COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in an increase in devotions to St. Sebastian around the world, 
particularly amongst Catholics in India. For the faithful from the subcontinent, Sebastian is often more popular than even Jesus or the Virgin Mary, who are like the king and queen, highly revered but unapproachable. Saint Sebastian, on the other hand, is someone who has suffered at the hands of the authorities and deeply understands their plight. As Saint Sebastian continues to evolve, he takes on ever more guises. He's no longer exclusively a Caucasian, cisgendered male. He doesn't always have the perfect gym body anymore, and sometimes not even a human body. He stands in for oppressed communities of all kinds. Roman warrior, plague saint, gay icon. Perhaps Saint Sebastian's next guise is simply as one of us. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode, Jarman and Sebastiane, The Making of a Gay Icon. Special thanks to the Manchester Art Gallery and to curator Fiona Corden and artist Jez Dolan for being our guests for this episode. Check out Jez Dolan's website to have a look at his artwork. It's jezdolan.com. That's J-E-Z-D-O-L-A-N.com. Do also check out the Manchester Art Gallery's website for additional images of St. Sebastian and images from the exhibition Derek Jarman Protest. You can also follow the Manchester Art Gallery on Twitter and Instagram at MCR Art Gallery. For images of the artworks, people, and topics mentioned in this episode, please head to the St. Podcast website at www.stpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions for future episodes, please email us at feedback at saintpodcast.com. As always, the word saint is spelled out. Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate your support. And stay tuned for future special episodes. Thank you.